From the Association of Registered Graphic Designers and Frontier Media, it's First Things First, a show about how design shapes and creates our world. I'm your host, Patty Harrington. Well, my father is a printer and a publisher, which means that I grew up in a printing house. He was a workaholic, so he worked all the time. And during holidays, we were there in the publishing house. And he specialized in publishing children books. And the great thing is that during holidays, into the summer ones, we traveled all across Europe visiting many of the illustrators whose books my father printed and published. We traveled in a VW camper van and we kind of slept campings or in the middle of forests. We called it Pisello because it was green. Pisello means green pea in Italian. And I don't know how many years it was, but it's probably around 10 years traveling all across Europe in this VW camper van. When we visited Etienne de Lesseau's studio in Switzerland, he is a fantastic, amazing illustrator. And one of the characters that he drew was Yok Yok. And I, and I was obsessed with Yok Yok. And I remember walking into his studio and seeing him draw Yok Yok on a piece of paper. And I think that is probably the most magical moment in my entire life to actually see something come to life, something that you dream about come to life in front of your eyes is, it's almost like a mystical kind of experience. That was definitely, I think, you know, it was almost inevitable for me to become a graphic designer. Astrid Stavro is an Italian graphic designer. Born in Trieste, she grew up in Madrid. After a brief career in journalism, she studied graphic design at Central St. Martin's College of Art and Design and the Royal College of Art in London. In 2005, she founded Studio Astrid Stavro, specializing in typography and editorial design. She has since co-founded and is creative director of Atlas, a branding and design consultancy based in Mallorca, New York, and London. When did it become clear that it was going to become your profession and that you were going to survive by designing? She's a bit of a long story. My, I wanted to be a journalist and write and change the world through writing. But my mother at the time married a journalist who used to work for El País newspaper, which is the largest newspaper in Spain. And he was an editorialist, a columnist, and also formed part of the board of El País. And I started figuring out how newspapers work from the insides and how it would be quite complicated to change the world as I intended to. Because in the board meetings, for example, say there's a news about whatever the king of Spain would call to the board meeting and say, do, do not publish this. So that was really off-putting. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, if the king of Spain calls, do they listen to him? This is a, a left-wing liberal newspaper. They're supposed to print everything. I decided to not study journalism. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life writing columns, you know, baseball columns or columns about soccer or something like that to make a living. So I studied literature. So I'm a late graphic designer. And it was one summer in Deia, which is a beautiful small town in the northeastern part of Mallorca. One of my best friends collected every single issue of Interview magazine at the time, designed by Tibor Kalman. And I remember one spread in particular that had lemons in it. I thought, oh my God. I don't know what it was about that spread. I wish I had a picture. I wish I had that issue. 
the way in which the page was designed and brought the content to life. And I, I never heard of graphic design before. I didn't know what it was. And my friend said, this is, you know, a thing called graphic design. And that was it. So after that, you attended the Royal College of Art in London. You worked on a project there called Art of the Grid. It had a pretty big impact on the beginning of your design career. So I was just wondering if you could tell us a bit about that. Art of the Grid was the graduating project at the Royal College of Art. It's a series of notepads that recreate grids based on publications that change the history of editorial design. For example, Twain Magazine, designed by Willie Fleckhouse, Ways of Seeing by Richard Hollis, which was added afterwards, The Guardian, designed by Richard Hillman, Yan Chico's Zeno Typography. They're the skeleton of any publication, so of any magazine, any book, is designed on a grid. It's something that we do not see, but something that designers need. Everything has a grid. I remember the day in which we received all these grids. They they arrived from the printer in in cardboard boxes and kind of almost like shat myself in my pants thinking, oh my God, this is like the worst piece of shit I've done in my entire life. And to our surprise, they sold out the day after. And actually we, we developed the project as a way of bridging the gap of being a student and finding a job afterwards. And we thought, I did this with Birgit Pfister and we thought, let's do something that will keep us busy after we graduate. So after finishing college, I was kind of self-employed already because I had a product that I could sell. I moved to Barcelona and I went to see Fernando Amat, who was the owner of Binson, which is a very old design shop in Barcelona. And I walked in with a few remaining notepads and he said, I love this. I want to, I want more. I want to sell it. Like, yeah, great. So he put me in touch with these manufacturers, which in turn printed many more Then Fernando was happy because he had the grids in his shop. I was super happy because I had a bit of extra cash money. And then I went to see another person. It was a bookshop called La Central in Barcelona to see if they wanted to sell the notepads in there. And they said, oh, this is really nice. Do you have a portfolio that we can look at? And I said, yes. I showed them the portfolio and they said, do you want to redesign our identity? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And that became my first client that allowed me to open my studio. They gave me a, a fixed income every month. I could hire other designers. And that was the beginning of Astrid's Tapper Studio. So you started your studio in Barcelona. How did you end up in Mallorca? My husband and I, he had his own studio called Graphic. I had my own studio, Astrid's Tapper Studio. And we had a son. And we were living in a pedestrian street in the Gothic Quarter in Barcelona before Barcelona kind of became invaded by tourism. And our street in particular was just behind the ports in Barcelona. So it became the aorta of all the tourists coming from the boats, you know, with the follow me signs. And it became quite annoying. And at that point, we thought, okay, where do we go to live? Outside Barcelona, but then there's all the traffic to drive into the city. My mother was living in Mallorca. Actually, I spent my childhood in Mallorca since I was 10 years old. So it's kind of like a second home to me. And one weekend we were there visiting and I said to Paolo, Paolo, why don't we have a look at homes here? And we went to see three houses and the third one, it was love at first sight. We walked into the place and we thought, this is it. We didn't even know where it was on the map. You know, it's like, Bini Salem, where the fuck is that? I don't know. Who cares? I mean, we want to live in this house. And that was it. 
And one month after, without thinking about it, we moved into the house. I don't think we would have ever done it if we thought about it twice. This spring and fall, some of the world's top creative minds tell it like it is and explore the deep truths of design at Design Thinkers. Design Thinkers is an annual conference for like-minded people and offers in-depth analysis of trends and best practices in design. On May 29th and 30th in Vancouver and October 24th and 25th in Toronto, join a community of people passionate about creative communications and go deep into the truths of design. For more information, visit www.designthinkers.com. So you've arrived in Mallorca, you live here now, and you've decided to build a practice. I'd imagine that for, in terms of drawing talent, it's, there's probably a pretty strong upside to inviting people to come work with you. I mean, what was the process of building a, a design studio in this place that is you know, slightly off the beaten path? It's totally off the beaten path. Starting a studio there was easier than we thought because everybody wanted to go there. It has a lot of appeal, especially for Northerners. So we get a lot of applications from Sweden, Norway, you know, from Northern Europe. Everybody wants to come to Mallorca. But at the same time, it's a very small island, which means that the team gets renovated constantly because a young designer, say in between 20, 25, that comes to the studio would leave after a year because even if the work you do is great, there's no personal life or no you know cultural things going on so it can get very depressing for younger people so there's a constant renewal of staff of designers in particular and that makes it tricky so we wanted to build something more permanent where the where we can grow together and where designers stay in you know four years or something like that which has been tricky to find in Mallorca so that's why we decided to open an office in London. We still have the Mallorca office. There's designers there and it's great because from London we commute to Mallorca and it's like, oh, I have to go to Mallorca. How unfortunate, you know, and spend there from Monday to Friday. What role would you say place has in the work itself? Like where you're working, what role does it have beyond people? I mean, in terms of the place itself, do you find that it influences the work? What did happen in Mallorca is that because there's less things to do, you focus more. And the fact that we were in an island created kind of a healthy distance from certain clients that confuse quantity for quality. You know, the kind of client that would come into the studio and sit with you for eight hours saying, you know, put this, lower the logo, make it bigger or whatever. So that was great. So we could focus and concentrate better. I'd say that's one of the assets of the Mallorca thing, but I don't think that being in Mallorca makes our work look more tropical or, you know, with palm trees or anything like that. So uh, I always say it's like working in New York or London. It's absolutely the same thing. The level of stress is high. There is a, a lot of work on the table all the time, hundreds of projects. So there's nothing really idyllic about it. The lifestyle is great. The beach is very close. I just can never go to it because I don't have time. What is time for you as it relates to creativity? Time is what I don't have. And I wish the days were 36 hours long or 48 or 72. That would be great. There's so many things I want to do, and I just never have the time to do it. 
poet friend of mine once said, that's bullshit, because if you wanted to do something, you find the time to do it. And saying that you don't have the time is like an excuse, a cheap excuse, which I quite agree with. And, oh, we don't have time. We live in a society where time has become this, you know, almost this enormous luxury. And you can hear people moaning about time, I don't have time, and I don't have time to do this, or I wish I could do that. And, and it's so easy to actually stop and do it. Does it have impact on the work, whether you have more or less time? I think that some of the best projects are the ones that are done faster, funnily enough, and not the ones in which you have like a lot months and months to develop, because that kind of pressure or stress that you get from having to deliver something good fast makes you know makes your brain kind of go faster. A lack of time is very productive, actually. The relationship between form and content is central to your work. Can you talk about Vegetables from an Italian Garden, the book you designed for Fiden? In Vegetables from an Italian Garden, the book is divided into four different seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. So what we did is divided into four different sections, a color for each. When you design a book, it's not only, hey, give us the material and we'll design it, but finding the appropriate and the best way to represent that and to actually suggest to the publishers we would do it like this. Like, for example, there's four journals, what we call journals in in the book. And they're cut at a shorter size so that finding the recipes makes it easier. And it's a very tactile. And when you're designing, it's a 3D object, so you need to think about everything. So finding the recipes easy, having these journals in, which was kind of an editorial contribution, form follows content. So that's our job. The reason I bring it up is because in that particular book, there is kind of a clarity that I feel is rare in design. Even designers who are trained to design clarity struggle to get to that level of clarity. And so do you find in the process, there are moments where you have to check yourself and say, have I lost that? When it comes to trying to protect that simplicity and that clarity, do you find it a struggle or is it easy? No, it's a struggle, but it's a struggle most of the time. I think designing is a constant struggle, but more than a struggle, I mean, it's a process, more than a struggle. It can become struggling, but it takes a lot of patience and a lot of speaking with the client, a lot of listening, and at times fighting for the things you believe in, but not just, you know, because you think it's right and appropriate and, and it takes time to explain this to the client. And, and sometimes the client agrees and says, you're right, which is great. And then it works out and everybody goes home happy and you know, the checks are signed and but it's not always like that. It's, I think our job is to keep things simple and to distill a project to its maximum essence. So it's kind of a, an exercise of stripping away, stripping away, stripping away and, and, and leaving it at its, you know, like almost naked. It might look minimal, some of the work, but it's, it's absolutely not an intention. There's a quote by Bruno Munari, which I love, that says, complicating is easy, simplifying is difficult. So what we try to do is to keep things simple. The world is a very messy place, very complicated, very chaotic. It has enough, you know, shit. And our job is to kind of remove the shit as much as we can. And you can only really do this through absolute simplicity. But it's actually very hard to achieve simplicity because it means that you have to understand everything and see what you can peel away so without you know ending up with something completely vacuous 
What's next for you? And not so much your next project, but what's the next frontier for you in your work? There's something that I'm very obsessed about, and it's what do we do as graphic designers? What is the role of graphic design? Because the world in which we live is disgusting, and the political climate is terrible, and there are many, many things that need addressing. What is my role? You know, maybe it's a midlife crisis or something, but I don't think that you know, smashing out the new identity or doing this and that, I think I, I need to help in a different way. How can we engage design to really change the world for better? And I think that this can sound very, very utopic and very idealist, but I mean, you need to, to be an idealist because if not, you know, change would just never happen. more about Astrid and her latest work, visit designbyatlas.com or follow at Astrid Stavro on Instagram. First Things First is produced by Max Cotter. Frontier Media is a part of Frontier, a design office based in Toronto, Canada. We believe that design is more than visual. It's a process of exploration, discovery, sketching, prototyping, iteration, and refinement. That process can help create a better world. Our mission is to help others understand how that goal can be accomplished. To do this, we use design to create better and more purposeful products. We publish a magazine and produce this podcast to explore and celebrate the risks people take in the process of creating things that are original and worthwhile. And we work with clients to help them define their purpose and tell their story. To learn more, visit www.frontier.is. First Things First is recorded in Toronto and Vancouver at the Design Thinkers Conference, organized by our founding partners at RGD the Association of Registered Graphic Designers, who represent over 3,800 design practitioners, including firm owners, freelancers, managers, educators, and students. Through RGD, Canadian designers exchange ideas, educate and inspire, set professional standards, and build a strong, supportive community dedicated to advocating for the value of design. 